Hey guys, it's Hannah Darlington and you're listening to How's That, the cricket podcast. How's that? You missed the bat, I caught you up. How's that? Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of How's That, the cricket podcast with me, Lily. And me, Ollie. So this week we have a super exciting guest right off the bat, um, as you would have heard in the intro. So we spoke to Hannah Darlington, who was it's pretty exciting. It's a big moment for us because it's the first guest who's actually asked us to be on the podcast. So I'm quite happy about it. We've just come off the back of the interview. I'm still smiling. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, still buzzing. Just the kind of person that makes you feel happy, Hannah Darlington. And it was just one of those that in the lead up, you know, when organizing it, she was, you know, very polite, just, you know, just one that you were looking forward to interviewing and that came across in the interview. So absolutely wonderful. There's nothing bad I can say at all. Yeah, absolutely. So we will get to that a little bit later on. But first, we will just talk about a couple of bits of cricket that's happened over the past week. We've had some more WNCL cricket, which is the last kind of leg before the big bash starts. So the New South Wales team took on Western Australia in two games where quite unexpectedly, New South Wales beat Western Australia, which off the bat from the games before, you wouldn't have initially thought that, would you? Um, Yeah, that that was... um, an interesting couple of games there, I think. Yeah, it was. And obviously the first one that we can talk about, um, New South Wales winning it by Duckworth Lewis Stern, eight runs, um, ended up making it to uh, four for 175 off 32.5 overs. And that ended up being enough. They batted first and in the end, Western Australia couldn't chase it down. They were they were bowled out uh, for 213. If you look at the New South Wales innings, Aaron Burns, 54, not out. Annika Leroy, former podcast guest with 24, not out. You also had Ash Gardner making 33, which was a positive. From her point of view, in terms of bowling, Piper Cleary, three wickets. Another former podcast guest, Lily Mills, also getting herself involved with one wicket for 34 runs off seven overs. So I think you actually put it out on the podcast account that it was a really good day for our uh, former podcast alumni, uh, which is always good to see. In terms of a batting point of view for Western Australia, uh, Matilda Carmichael, with 68 runs, Beth Mooney was run out on 53. That was a massive wicket. And in the end, Western Australia couldn't get over the line in that first game. In terms of the bowling point of view, Maitland Brown, four wickets for 41 runs. He had two wickets for Sammy Joe Johnson, and one each for Gardner, Hawley and Davidson. And a good result for New South Wales in that first game. Yeah, it was a good result. And like it's one of those games where luckily the rain was on their side. Um, but yeah, I think that put them in good stead for the next game against uh, Western Australia maybe gave them a bit more confidence going into that second game, uh, which did go in their favour as well. So going on to that second game, New South Wales won by 58 runs, which was quite a significant win there and definitely boosted up their points in terms of going up the ladder a bit. So New South Wales batting first and setting 302 for seven. Talia Wilson with 101 and Phoebe Litchfield with 107. Incredible. So incredible. And I think, uh, I don't know, if you haven't seen the video, you should go and watch it. But Phoebe Litchfield's 100 celebration was one of the most low-key, down-to-earth celebrations you've ever seen. It was just a little helmet and bat rays. Not much smile on her face. So I think that was that was an interesting one. But um, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant young talent. And I definitely think she's going to be in uh, green and gold very soon. You'd but, be surprised if she wasn't, to be honest. Yeah. You'd be very surprised she wasn't. And you'd be asking questions if you wanted. But I think part of that celebration was the fact that at the time of her losing a wicket, you know, 222 for two, Richie Benno favourite there. Um, 
that there's still had 10 overs left, more than when she actually lost her wicket. So I think it was one of those, it's like, let's go on, make this a big one, head down, and let's try and go to 150. Because she probably had time to do that, but she was uh, removed shortly after making her turn. But we spoke about it the other day with, with Victoria. You had two batters making hundreds, and it was the same here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so yeah, really good from the New South Wales side there. But in the bowling side, Tennille Peschel with one for 55, Piper Cleary with one for 68, and Lily Mills, two for 54. And then Amy Edgar with two for 36, and Alana King with one for 64. So yeah, really good, again, from the three podcast guests there from Western Australia. But interesting to only see Alana King with one wicket. Um, that's not something you usually see. But then in the batting side, Chloe Paparo, 55, Maddie Dark, 51. Piper Cleary, a little cameo down the order there with 35. And Tennille Peschel coming in really low down in the order, scoring 45 of 39. A brilliant little cameo there. But then again, Maitland Brown, three for 60. Lauren Cheetle, two for 27. And Sammy Joe Johnson, two for 56. Really good to see Lauren Cheetle out there. She's missed a couple of seasons previously due to various kind of injuries and issues. So really, really nice to see her out there taking wickets. A great cricketer. And I'm so glad she's finally out there playing. But a well-deserved player of the match for Phoebe Litchfield. And I think that's that's boosted New South Wales up to third, I believe, on the table. But we'll go through that after these other two games. Quickly on Phoebe Litchfield, like if you're gonna if you're making a hundred, it's very, you know, you're very unlikely to lose player of the match to anybody, which you know, sometimes when there's two hundreds in a batting innings, you've got to kind of carefully pick between, you know, which player is gonna take it. It's so harsh on Talia Wilson. It's fair, but it's so harsh. She makes 101. I'm not sure she cares that much because obviously they won the game, but imagine making 100 and missing out. It's it's one of those ones, but but credit to Phoebe Litchfield. It was deserved. Certainly, runnable 100 is remarkable and, you know, incredible player, Phoebe Litchfield, and she will be wearing green and gold soon enough. And, you know, she'll be terrorising opposition bowling attacks for a country as it, as she has been doing for, you know, for a state. So, you know, it's a matter of time, isn't it? It's, it's if, not when. So it's when, not if, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, moving on, then Queensland were taking on ACT. And like we said, ACT just weren't looking too great at the start of the season. And Queensland were looking extremely strong. So Queensland won by 47 runs uh, with the DLS method. But to start it off in the Queensland batting innings, they were four for 270 or 47 overs. Georgia Redmayne with 37 Georgia Vole with seven, which is not something you, you see very often. Um, if you're going to get Georgia Vole out, you want to do it early because she can score big. Uh, Charlie Knott with 13. Michaela Hinckley, 65 not out. Laura Harris, 101 of 54 balls. And Jessica Johnson, 23 not out. 101 of 54 balls. That is incredible. And I think it's, it's one of those situations where I feel like Laura Harris... Not necessarily overshadowed, but Grace Harris has been selected in Australian stuff before. She's been, she's gone over, uh, you know, she's been in the Women's Ashes, Com Games. She's kind of been within those squads. So um, she's got a bit of a point to prove that she can do just as well as her sister. And uh, she has done with that uh, 101 of 54 for sure. Yeah, it should be illegal to be that good. 101 of 54. Are you, are you joking? Like, save some, save some cricket skill for the rest of us, please, Laura Harris, because. She's certainly got a ton of it. Um, and maybe the Harris jeans. I know, obviously, Grace is wonderful. Laura, much the same. So it must be uh, running in that family line because 101 off 54, like, 
there's a select group of cricketers worldwide that could do that. Um, and it's, you know, obviously ACT, we don't expect them to be up the top of the WNCL and maybe that plays into it, but you can't take anything away from Laura Harris and not like that. It doesn't matter who you played and not like that's unreal. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like we said, ACC just couldn't really get going. They were 6 for 106 off 20 overs. Now, this is the thing with ACT. You've got Katie Mack and Rebecca Carter at the top who who can bat. Um, and then, you know, you've got the batters after that, like Tilly Lug and Carly Leeson, who can also bat, but they haven't got quite the, the hard-hitting like Katie and Rebecca do. So once you get those two in the top order out, they struggle to build partnerships further down the order after that. So... Rebecca Carter was out for four and so was Katie Mack. And then it just didn't really work for them after that. Um, Matilda Lug with 19, Carly Leeson 12, Annie Wickman 28 not out, Angie Jenford 5, Olivia Porter 25 and Amy Yates 1 not out. So yeah, really couldn't get going there. But in the bowling column, uh, Georgia Presswich with 1 for 11, Courtney Sipple 2 for 24, Jess Johnson 1 for 23, and Grace Parsons, two for 25. So, look, yeah, quite disappointing from ACT. Like we said, when the Australian representatives go, is that going to be their time to shine? I'm not sure, but I'd be interested to find out. Yeah, and I think that is, it's ACT's best chance, isn't it? We don't know if it's going to happen, but it's going to be their best chance. Because with the Australian representatives playing for other states, it, it's tough for ACT at the minute. I don't think anyone can say that it's not with the way that the results have gone so far, but... Hopefully they can turn up, maybe win a game or two somewhere down the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then going on to that second game, um, ACT all out for 132 and Queensland chased that down in 23 overs, only two down. So ACT, again, top order, not getting it going. Rebecca Carter, 11, Katie Mack, 8. Matilda Lug, 1. They're going down. Annie Wickman, 20. Carly Leeson, 13. Holly Ferling was 22, not out. And then everyone else just kind of fell around her. But bowling-wise, Georgia Prestwich with two for 17. Courtney Sipple, two for 27. Jess Johnson, two for five off seven, which is really good. And then wickets, one each between all the other bowlers. And then Georgia Redmayne, 62, not out. Georgia Vol, 35. Ellie Johnson, 25. And Charlie, not zero, not out. So um, just supporting Georgia right towards the end there. But yeah, uh, a, a good... Queensland team and if, if they weren't in contention for the trophy at the end I'm, I'm not sure who would be yeah I'm trying to decide what a more ridiculous feat is the 100 from Harris all those bowling figures from Jess Jonathan I, I, I can't grapple you know with I am grappling I should say with what is more impressive because those figures of two for five or seven just again it's unreal and you know you sort of come to expect that from Jess Jonathan because we know how good she is but it's incredible how they've got stars who can do everything Queensland. They've got stars who can bat. They've got stars who can bowl. They've got stars who can do both. It's They're a tough team to stop when they're at their best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, moving on to Tasmania versus Victoria. One of the strangest things, Lizelle Lee popped up, obviously signing for Hobart Hurricanes this year, but playing for Tasmania, probably not something anyone was really expecting. But yeah. Going from the scorecard, Tasmania won by five wickets with Victoria setting 279 with eight wickets down. And yeah, Tasmania managing to chase that down in 47.5 overs. Sophie Molyneux, 23. McKinley blows a duck. Elise Perry, 
six. Now, if you haven't seen The Bullshit Face by Heather Graham, that's a bit of a talking point because, look, I'm not Elise Perry and I never will be Elise Perry, but I don't know why she decided to leave that ball because it wasn't pitching outside. So for her to just decide to leave that is an interesting choice. I'd kind of want to know what's going through her brain at that moment, but yeah, that was an interesting one. It must have just been a simple misjudgment. It was so strange seeing it because, you know, whenever you think of a dismissal like that, you think Glenn Maxwell, don't you, from the big bash all those years ago. Yeah. Um, she's a quality player, Elise Perry. No one's doubting that. And no way are you doubting that even after one dismissal. But it was really, really strange. It just catapulted into a off stump and it put Victoria in an awful position. Um, obviously, you talked about the duck before McKinley blows. That was a golden. So um, that wasn't a great start. Then Elise Perry fell. It was 12 for two. Um, and obviously, Victoria, you know, we had to respond from there. Annabelle Sutherland comes in at four and makes 111. So she's turned up again in what's been an unreal start to the Australian summer for her. Nicole Fulton made 61, which was nice. They had a really good partnership together, did uh, Sutherland and Fulton. Kim Garth, nice down the order to see her. Back well, she made just under a run of ball 29. Tess Flintoff with a nice little cameo down the order. You know, put Victoria to a very competitive 279 for eight that we thought maybe Tasmania, you know, were going to have trouble chasing that down, but they, they didn't, did they? Of course they didn't. Elise Villani, 71. Opening the batting, Rachel Treadman made a nice 40. Nicola Carey, 101. Again, you just it's so tough to, to come up against teams like that and expect to win. And, you know, I was thinking as a Victoria fan, maybe we've, we're going to get over the line or something like that, but they chase it down with, you know, just over two overs to spare, five down. Did it really easy. They coasted, didn't they, really? Yeah, and look, you, you'd be gutted if you were Annabelle Sutherland because to go out there and make 111 and not win... It's probably really frustrating and it would have been the same thing when they versed South Australia with Perry and Sutherland both making hundreds and not managing to get over the line. It, it's got to be frustrating um, and for it to happen again. Yeah, really not ideal, but really good bowling from the Tasmania team. Um, Heather Graham with four for 69, really good. Nicola Carey with two for 56 and then Molly Strano with one and Amy Smith with one as well. So yeah, really good there. But Lizelle Lee getting a duck is probably not ideal for her coming in as, you know, this big star overseas player and um, ready to join up with the Hurricanes and starting off like that was probably not her ideal start. But um, yeah, it's really good to see her playing in Australia. Yeah, it is. And Lizelle Lee's a quality player. Like she's been amazing for years and I'm sure she'll do well, not only for Tasmania, for however many games she plays for Tasmania, but also for, for Hobart and the WBBL. So again, good players can have bad moments. We saw that today with... Middle East Perry, it's not one that you just, you know, keep your head down. She'll be ready and raring to go on Thursday um, for the second game between these two, and I'm sure she'll play well. Yeah, absolutely. So now, very quickly, just going over the WNCL ladder at this current stage. So in first place, Queensland are currently sitting winning all of their matches. Western Australia are in second, winning two from four of their matches. New South Wales have gone up to third after winning their games against Western Australia. South Australia are currently sitting in fourth after winning one and then having a tie. And then Tasmania have slotted up in between South Australia and Victoria after winning their game against Victoria today. And then Victoria are currently in at sixth, winning none from three, but obviously having a tie in there. And then ACT are sitting in last position uh, with no wins from four matches. So that is the current standings for the WNCL. Now we will quickly go over the Marsh Cup. 
So the first game kicked off on the 23rd of September, and that was between Victoria and New South Wales. Victoria won by three runs with the DLS method. Western Australia versus Victoria. Western Australia won by five wickets. Victoria setting 274, and Western Australia chasing that down quite easily. Then Queensland versus South Australia. South Australia won by 61 runs, which is good to see a South Australia win. But then, unfortunately, could not win against Tasmania in the next game. Like two days later, they played, so a pretty quick turnover there. But yeah, not too great from from South Australia there, setting 220 all out and Tasmania winning that within 32 overs. Then Queensland versus Tasmania. Tasmania winning by six wickets. Queensland all out for 164. And then Western Australia versus New South Wales, which was quite a shocking game because New South Wales were all out for 76 off 21 overs. You just don't see that happen often, do you? No. And you were just kind of like, what? What what happened there? That was very odd. Um, Looking at the New South Wales team, quite a strong team. But if you go through the batting order very quickly, Curtis Patterson, four, Daniel Hughes, duck, Matthew Jokes, duck, uh, Moses Henriquez, one, Jason Sanger, duck, Jack Edwards, three, Sean Abbott, 12, Daniel Sams, 26, Ben Dwarsh's four not out, Nathan Lyon, 11, and Liam Hatcher, one. So that top order, there was three ducks in there, and the highest score was Daniel Sams. So well, Daniel Sams isn't a bad cricketer, to be fair. But you just wouldn't expect him to be your highest scorer. No. So good bowling from Jai Richardson with four for 24 off eight, and Jason Berendorf with three for 17 off seven. So yeah, good there, but yeah, an interesting one for sure but yeah do you quickly want to just talk us through what's happened so far or what's happened in the England versus Pakistan series yeah so that was the seven T20s that we talked about a little while ago England winning the series 4-3 which you know puts us in good stead for the uh for the World Cup that's coming up ever so soon you know winning 4-3 very nice we'll take that and we will run winning that uh, final game uh, the deciding game of seven um, in the end, we we were you know we had fair bit of um, fair bit of time left in that game. Um, you know we were never really under threat of losing it, setting two hundred nine for three, um, and then Pakistan only making one hundred forty two for eight. If we quickly ever so quickly run over the scorecard, David Milan, who's coming over to Victoria um, in a short while, he made seventy eight not out. Um, he was brilliant, um, and then for England in terms of um, in terms of bowling and the batting innings for Pakistan, Shah Massoud made fifty six. Um, he was their top scorer. And then for England, top wicket taker. Chris Wokes, a favourite of yours, three for 26 off four overs. That briefly summarises things. Of course, England have got a couple of T20s to play against Australia before the tournament proper starts just after that. So looking forward to the, uh, the men's T20 World Cup over here on, uh, you know, in Australian soil. Yeah, no, it should be good. Hopefully I'll be able to go down to at least one match. Um, but yeah, no, should be exciting to see what happens there. But then moving on, we'll get on to our guests now. So like we mentioned at the start, we spoke to Hannah Darlington, who was a wonderful interviewee and our first um, person who's requested to come on the podcast, which was super exciting for us. But yeah, a wonderful chat with Hannah. She speaks about her kind of cricket story and how she's still really young, but she's still broken down so many barriers in terms of her age and and what she's managed to achieve in this small amount of time. So yeah, it was really awesome to chat to Hannah, but without further ado, enjoy our chat with Han Darlington. Yes! Oh, that's her near hits. Leg stuff collected. Hannah Darlington, welcome to One Day International Cricket. She's got two far. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us today, Hannah. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us where in the world you are at the moment and where you're kind of at with your cricket? Because I know you're not playing in, in the upcoming WBBO and NCL. So what's kind of happening at the moment for you? Yeah, I'm at home um, around the corner from from training where I live with a couple of my teammates. But I guess, yeah, for me at the moment, I'm one week and one day post-op of a meniscus repair surgery. So um, very minimal surgery considering some of the, the bigger ones that can happen surrounding the knee. But um, yeah, looking at a bit of a five to six weeks, hopefully the five, um, until returning back to cricket. So um, yeah, I had my first swim today, um, getting back in the gym, those sort of fun things that occur during rehab, which um, aren't actually that fun. I had a couple of weird looks today when I was at the pool um, doing my underwater running and wondering what I was doing um, from all the school kids. So um, yeah, a little bit of a different scenario than I'd like to be in. I'd rather be bowling in the nets and, and out on the field, but saying that, um, yeah, it's probably a good result for what could have happened. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of a hiccup for the start of the season, but nothing new. So that's quite disappointing, isn't it? Because you obviously had such a well, such a successful season last year in terms of you stepping up in both the Sydney teams. So that must be like, you know, a bit of a bit of a disappointment that you can't get out there this season until well, until the end, really. Yeah, I was actually really disappointed um, due to the fact that it was just a complete accident. Um, and they're the things you don't really prepare for. And sometimes um, injuries, yeah, they're quite frustrating. And I've, I've been pretty lucky, touch wood, to not have too many um, this this until now, um, first time un- under the knife. So those sort of things um, are a bit tricky to come to terms with. Um, and I haven't actually played cricket um, in a while. I was sort of speaking to a couple of the girls the other day and it's been a long time since I played a competitive game of cricket um, for someone who plays cricket for a living. So um, yeah, that feeling of being back out on the field, I was quite close to and um, had a couple of practice games under my belt and felt really good. And, and yeah, I guess that moment sort of happened. And now I'm, I'm really excited to get back out there pretty soon. Yeah. And like, like you said, coming off an off season as well, you know, you have that big gap of not much cricket and then just watching I don't know like internationally and that and then to for that to happen right in front of the season is quite frustrating but yeah like I said hopefully you can get back out of there as soon as you can really as soon as you heal up so if we go right back to the very very beginning of your cricket career how did you first get into the sport yeah my dad um grew up in the country so he played every sport growing up and sort of brought that to Western Sydney, where we grew up, uh, myself and my little brother played a lot of backyard cricket, um, really competitive with dad. And, and yeah, saying that my little brother was actually really good. So we were really competitive and I didn't like to let him win, um, but never really saw cricket as a game I'd play outside of the backyard until um, there was a little incident at school um, where a tennis ball simply came flying down the, the courtyard at school and I picked it up through it back where it came from. And this angry teacher came back down uh, with a sore head and he said um, I'd actually clocked him in the back and yeah it was kind of confused as to why um, yeah he got hit from that far away and he's like oh you've actually got a pretty good arm on you but you can't just go around hitting teachers so yeah he got offered detention or cricket training and took definitely the option of cricket training and it all sort of started there in terms of competitive cricket but um, yeah like any Aussie kid you sort of grow up playing in the backyard anyway so had the skills to sort of go from there. It is one of the most unique stories of how anybody gets into cricket because you hear, you know, most of the time it's, oh, my dad got me involved, my brother's got me involved. It's it's never, you know, I, I just threw a cricket ball or threw a ball on my teachers and it kind of, you know, fell into place that way. It's it's unreal, really. But do you reckon that was a bit of a blessing in disguise knowing that, you know, you weren't going to go down a cricket path 
you know, outside of your backyard. And now, obviously, you've played international cricket, you're a top player in your state. Do you reckon that was a, a bit of a blessing in disguise? I think so. Like, I grew up playing netball and that was my love for sport and always had this love of sport, but I only ever saw myself playing netball. Um, so when the cricket sort of popped up and then the decision came to choose between netball and cricket, it was quite funny that it was such an easy decision to go down cricket's path because it was what I enjoyed more. Um, it sort of had been around for a little bit in terms of the professional game, but the year I had to decide was the first year of the WBBL and that made it a, a pretty easy decision to see a competition like that. Um, just starting up and the excitement of it um, to think that cricket might not have been in my path at all is yeah pretty crazy to think that something like that actually had an impact. And you talk about the WBBL just starting as you had to make that decision. Was it, you know, the draw of, you know, being a part of history in a sense and being a part of a competition that you hadn't seen beforehand that sort of drew you towards cricket to, you know, to say, right, I can be a part of something special here. I can be the start of a creation of a competition, even though you didn't come into it until a few years later. Yeah, I think I always loved sort of even every chance I got to play cricket, I always wanted to hit the ball hard and, and be attacking. And I grew up as a batter, so seeing T20 cricket was really exciting. But then um, my dad and I were actually at the first um, ever WBBL game out at Howl Oval at Penrith, which was my local oval growing up and doing the sight screens. And yeah, I guess it was just a bit of a light bulb moment where I really enjoyed the atmosphere of, of T20 cricket, especially and, and understanding how exciting and fast the game moves was something that really stood out to me um and yeah definitely made cricket um a pretty feasible um career option yeah and it certainly worked out well for you so far and we're hoping that you know for many years to come you start there at the top level but you spoke about growing up a little bit in the backyard and your sort of your childhood you know watching cricket who are your cricketing role models growing up and you know how good is it in a sense to you know follow in the footsteps of, of some of the potential players that you you know grew up idolizing yeah I sort of have two that stand out for me apart from probably my mum and dad especially um mum has no chance with a cricket bat or ball but dad was actually quite a good cricketer um and yeah definitely took a lot from him but I think in terms of um you know getting into cricket and those role models that sort of had a, a direct impact on me um definitely started with Mitchell Johnson I remember an Ashes series and he just teared apart um, England over here in Australia in the in the 5-0 whitewash. Uh, sorry for the reminder, but um, that, that series as a kid, I absolutely was glued to the TV. I remember watching every single ball, I reckon, of that test series. And um, yeah, I just remember absolutely wanting to be a fast bowler from that day on and definitely have never bowled that quick. I'm definitely in the medium category, but I think seeing how he just went about the want to play for Australia and yeah, the absolute way he played his cricket just really stood out to me. And then um, probably in the female side, someone like Alex Blackwell definitely had a direct impact on me and sort of the leader she was um, welcoming me into that Thunder group. And I, I watched a lot of her playing um, for the breakers growing up. I always loved probably being the only person in the crowd um, with a couple of my mates watching the WNCL um, whenever we could, but yeah, Al has sort of been that that leadership mentor for me, especially um, both on and off the field. And I think it was really nice that um, my first year um, for the Thunder was her last and kind of getting to share those moments with her was really special. Yeah, I don't think me or Lily saw Mitchell Johnson the same way that you potentially did in that series. But yeah, Alex Blackwell's a great one. That's a wonderful one. Um, you know, potentially, you know, when we interview a lot of female cricketers as we do, Alex Blackwell, you know, somehow isn't one that comes up a lot, but she certainly has done a lot for 
for women's cricket, especially for the Thunder as well. So it's a great one to mention. Yeah, I think, yeah, I can, I'm happy that I get to pick up the phone and can give her a call um, whenever I need a hand with anything. So yeah, it's really nice to have that connection there. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I guess talking about that, you know, maybe people are just a little bit older than you didn't have female role models uh, to look up to when they were younger playing cricket, but you're now in like the prime position where cricket's on TV, uh, now introducing DRS into the big bash. So how does it make you feel or, or do you see yourself as a role model to these younger boys and girls watching cricket? Yeah, I hadn't really seen uh, myself as a role model until probably a couple of years ago um, when we started getting crowds in it and that interaction with crowds and understanding the impact that those small little moments can have. I think we're really good at being reminded um, how important signing one autograph or you sort of remember when you were a kid and the impact that that little moment can have on you and that's something I've really taken away is um, you know, that little bit of our time can change um, that that point of view of one kid and many kids, hopefully. So that's really exciting to see as well as, you know, those opportunities we now get on television for everyone to be able to see. And yeah, I think it, it's just really exciting that that is now an opportunity. And I think, um, I think especially for me, I probably see myself as more of a role model in the Indigenous space. So uh, I know there's a lot of us now um, rocking around in the the WBBL and it's really exciting to see. So I, that's probably my goal at the moment is to become that um, Indigenous mentor and um, role model because I had people like Ash um, to look at over the last couple of years. So I think it's really important as well. So that's probably where I see myself at the moment a bit differently. It's always a bit weird when um, I find it a little bit weird when people consider me a role model just because I'm so young. Um, but it is really awesome to see that we're making an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, it, it is the younger players who are becoming more role models now because it's much younger girls who say, look, I only have to be 19 to be a captain of a of a team if, if I want to be or if I, you know, drive for it. So you mentioned there about being a role model for younger Indigenous kids. So last year in the Big Bash and WBBL, they introduced the First Nations round where, you know, each team had a jersey designed and played I think you played in Mackay I think the Thunder did um yes yeah we were, yeah yeah and some teams were here in in Adelaide so can you tell us a bit more about that and how much that round kind of meant to you yeah it was really special to sort of see the evolution I guess of it I think we've gone from the last couple of years where um we had a NADOC round the year before um we'd sort of transition into wanting to get the full Indigenous round up and running instead of just um a few teams getting the jersey um and designing it for a couple of games of the year, a little bit disjointed. Um, we wanted this to be a complete round. And I think it was really cool to see, um, I think especially some of the small details that went into it. It wasn't just um, the jerseys that were the, the obviously the main focus point, um, but even, you know, at the grounds and on the TV, we had um, local Indigenous language used for four, six wicket. Um, and it just sparks that edu education um, conversation, which I think is really cool that people want to learn. Um, I think that's the most exciting part, especially when my teammates come and ask me questions or, or Annika questions or whoever it might be, they want to learn, um, which I think is super exciting and showing that the sport's going in the right direction. Yeah, and it must have been quite cool to have the international players come over as well from different countries like India and, and England and to kind of teach them a bit more about it so it's kind of spread internationally as well yeah our team absolutely loved it I think um for our first sort of time as a group we were down in Tassie and we actually did our smoking ceremony and shirt presentation um together and it was really exciting to see 
you know, Srimini Mandana, one of the best cricketers in the world, um, asking questions and understanding, you know, why we do a smoking ceremony. Deep D was really um, interested and got really involved. And then you have, um, you know, Wongi who didn't have any understanding and came across and walked out of that session with um, just loads of questions. I think that was the most exciting part is um, they really wanted to understand and and then coming across and, and playing in the Indigenous round, they were sort of caught up to speed. And yeah, it was really awesome to see that hopefully, um, you know, that continues to to come with all the internationals that come across and they take it back to their their homeland. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you, just just FYI, my, the Thunder shirt was my absolute favourite because they auctioned them off and I ended up getting one myself because I was like, these are one of the best things I've seen. I absolutely love it. Yeah, you've got to look out for the one this year. It looks really awesome. Sneak peek, sneak peek, but um, yeah, I'm really excited for it. More money off to, to the Thunder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just final one on, on, you know, being an Indigenous cricketer. We spoke to Jason Gillespie, of course, is um, Camilla, a person like yourself. Uh, but how much pride does it give you as an Indigenous cricketer to sort of inspire the next generation we, we talked about you you know being a role model but is it something you often reflect on being indigenous cricketer saying you know right I'm at the top level I'm playing games for Australia and I'm an indigenous cricketer so you can sort of say to people you, you know if I can do it then there's so many else uh, so many others you know, after you can as well yeah I think moments like that sort of stand out when I get to go home um, back to Camilleroy land where my family um, has sort of grown up and lived for you know a couple that's where my dad grew up and and those sort of things when I get to go back there and see my cousins and everyone who sort of sit back and watch on the tv and and they see it's possible it's really cool um seeing a heap of Darlingtons run around in, in thunder and Australian shirts around the town and um I guess they're the moments you sort of sit back and reflect and you know like I said before you just see the impact it's having and it, it's really cool um sort of seeing it within my own family as well who have sort of taken that education sort of route as well in terms of just wanting to understand a bit more about it um and yet yeah, it's pretty amazing to see um how interested they are and obviously that spreads throughout the whole town and hopefully um the next town and the next town as we um can say in the country because there's so many small towns out there but I think the impact um yeah I think that's probably how I reflect on it instead of sitting back and and thinking otherwise but um yeah it's pretty cool when you get to have those moments with family yeah, I'm sure it is. And, you know, the, the First Nations round has been has been wonderful and hopefully more initiatives like that can uh, can pop up and the education can grow from here um, because that's exactly what we need and what it deserves. But if we can move on to your WBBL debut, you had one of the strangest circumstances in which to make a WBBL debut. You had your HSC English exam the same day and you had that to do and then you had a game of cricket to play. Could you just take us into your, your schedule, I guess, and your mindset that day? Because it must have been absolutely mental. Yeah, I can probably take you a, a week back. Um, and I sort of had the realisation that I was probably going to play. Um, and that sort of hit. Um, and I figured out months earlier when both timetables sort of came out that round one was going to be um, for that paper two English exam. Um and sort of put two and two together and played a couple of the trial matches. And I was like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to play round one here. Like I'm pretty good shout unless something really goes wrong. Um, and then, yeah, the head coach um, Trevor called me and he's like, okay, it's your decision. They're like we want you in the 11. Um, do you want to make yourself available for selection? I was like, 
yeah, like we're making this work. I'd run drinks for two years. I wasn't um, ready to let that opportunity slide. Um, and I'm really lucky um, that opportunity came up. Um, so yeah, I guess I remember how it all sort of panned out because it was really stressful, but at the same time, um, it was actually really nice to not be stressed on one thing. I could call it, sort of balance it out. So when I was worried about cricket, I was like, oh, I'll go and remember my English quotes or vice versa. Just had to make sure I didn't get them mixed up. But um, I had an English exam on the Thursday. So we have two English exams. So you have paper one on the Thursday, paper two on the Friday. Um, a lot of writing, a lot of essays, but did paper one, went in, had a quick hit and a bowl because um, I knew I wasn't going to get one. Um, before the game and then pretty much sat my English exam 9am till I'm pretty sure it was like 1130. Um, it was a two and a half hour exam and I had a creative writing piece and all I could think about was my fields for Elise Perry and I was like oh dear like I'm trying to write about some creative story and I'm thinking about my fields and I was like oh dear like I'm gonna have a deep square I'm gonna have a long on and I was like oh no um, so that sort of happened and then got in the car um, drove home back to Penrith and I had a quick nap because I was absolutely exhausted. Um, got in the car with mum and dad because I was so tired I couldn't drive um, all the way to North Sydney, which was about an hour and a half drive in the traffic. Got to the ground um, and then, yeah, it was ready for game day sort of thing. Mum and dad actually missed my cap presentation because the security wouldn't let them into North Sydney Oval. They made it for the last, I think, minute of the speech. And then I was like, oh, dear, this day is just not going well. But everything sort of went to plan. Like I didn't bowl great. I was a bit exhausted, um, but we got there. Um, and yeah, that was just the circumstances I was handed. <laughs> and you, you've dealt with those circumstances so, so well. I, I love the quote where you're just saying you've got a creative writing piece and you're setting your fields for Elise Perry in your mind. Like did that sort of on your mind, the fact that it also was Elise Perry that you're playing against. It's like you're writing, you know, you're getting your quotes ready, getting your paragraphs ready and you've got, perhaps if not one of if not the greatest female cricketer to play on Australian shores you know a few hours later yeah a couple of my um mates who were also I went to a sports school so there's a couple of cricketers in there and they were well aware what was happening that night and yeah I remember a couple of them saying to me like King Henry the fourth or whatever the English quote I was trying to remember about King Henry was not as important as Alyssa Healy and Elise Perry, surely. I think that was some of the quotes that were getting chucked around before we headed into the exam hall. And um, yeah, I think that sort of put it in my mind of, oh, yep, poor King Henry, sorry, but Elise Perry is going to take uh, priority here. Um, but it was just a weird situation, but I was never going to say no to playing. No, especially if you're saying like running drinks, like it's not so easy. It's one of those things where you've got to take the opportunity when it's got presented to you or else it's, you know, it could be taken away and you might never get it back or you don't know when you're going to get it back. When you get the chance, it's one of those ones where you sort of got to take it or else you might not get it again. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I had my time running drinks and I think it made me prepared um, for when I got the chance that I wasn't going to let anyone take my spot after that. Um, so yeah, definitely took it. Brilliant. So now moving on to the season after that was uh, WBL 06 that was held in the, the COVID hotel hub, uh, which the Thunder won. Now that must have been a pretty incredible uh, season. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of the older players I know struggled quite a bit with the being enclosed within this hotel environment. But how did you find that? And then I guess winning made it a bit better for the Thunder team. Yeah, I think we were a little bit worried to go in um, just due to the fact that home was so close for us. We thought it was actually going to be quite tricky 
Um, I used to joke that I could see home from the balcony of the hotel. Um, so those sorts of moments, um, yeah, made it quite worrying. But as soon as we got in there, just due to the fact that our team was so young um, and we were, or if they weren't young, they were just considered big kids. Um, it was almost like school camp. Like we felt like we were, um, yeah, we'll go and play cricket um, and then training some of the days or go and have a gym session. But all the rest was like, okay, like what's the activity this afternoon? Like are we going to shoot the basketball? Are we doing pranks? Are we, um, you know, chilling, playing cards? Like we always just sort of had um, something going on in the group. Um, but it was also really cool just due to the fact that like if you wanted alone time, you literally just had to shut your door and that was it. But, um, yeah, we had this, we had a level to ourselves Um and people just have their doors open. You could go in, hang out, um, sort of do whatever you wanted. And they looked after it, after us really well in there. I think that um, kept everyone occupied. But I say, I did say um, before the hub, I remember having an interview and they're like, who's going to win? And I said, yeah, the best team's not going to win this year. I think it's going to be the team that deals with the circumstances of the hub the best um, and who embraces that sort of um, new experience that we were going to be having and, and lucky enough that just seemed to be us that year. And um, yeah, I guess um, we didn't start well. We sort of finished a little bit poorly during the round matches. Um, we had a couple of close games and different scenarios. And then it sort of became um, a semi-final where we found a way to sort of um, cause a collapse. And then pretty much the grand final, just everything. I, I like to say everything went our way, but I'm pretty sure we dropped about seven catches um, and don't know how we bowled them out for that many, considering we dropped them that many times. But going back in and looking at the game, um, yeah, I think we deserved a performance like that um, to come away. And it was a lot nicer walking out of a, an experience like that with a, a medal around our neck. Yeah, exactly. Also, when we interviewed Sam Bates, she said something along the lines of she wanted to carry on winning so she could stay in that in that hotel because she enjoyed it that much it wasn't just it was obviously for winning not just for winning though but so she could stay were you similar along those lines or were you kind of the opposite yeah I guess um I was really excited to get home I think I missed mum and dad and, and my dog especially he tried to I sneaked him um for a couple of walks we ended up allowing um dog time so he got dropped off a couple of times and and yeah we all sort of had group activities with the dogs but saying that it was awesome in there. And I think seeing the sacrifices everyone definitely made to get that competition up and running was incredible. Um, we'd probably never see something like that again. And that's probably um, a good thing. I think I, I look back and think of um, how difficult it could have been if things weren't going right. And um, understanding that for some people, it just wasn't their ideal environment. And yeah, I guess um, that's the beauty of big bashes. It all goes pretty quickly. So it was probably a good thing. Um, we sort of had that short time frame, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think a couple of us, the the last day were pretty upset that it was all over. Yeah. You were a part of a, a weird part of history. And I think it's one everyone's going to always yeah. get back on um, as being just extremely odd, but not many people can say they were a part of it. And, and you're the one, one of the ones who can. So we move away from the WBBL just um, for a brief moment. We've obviously got WNCL as well, which has just kicked off for this season, um, obviously being injured. So, you know, for your sense, you're not involved so far this season, but you have been in previous years. You became New South Wales' youngest ever captain in senior teams, both male and female, which is must be quite an honour. But how much notice did you have? Because it was, um, just, you know, you're standing in. It wasn't like a, a permanent role just yet. I'm sure maybe in the future that might change, but... Um, how much notice did you actually get that you were going to become captain and we were overawed by the, the prospect of making history again? 
Yeah, I guess um, I think I got a phone call the day before we were meant to fly out, but um, Midge sort of came and gave me a heads up uh, the day before we had a training session. And yeah, she sort of mentioned that um, there was some family um, stuff happening um, with her and Mitch and um, it was probably going to be in her best interest to stay back in Sydney and the whole group sort of understood um, for sure that was the right thing to do. And um, yeah, she sort of gave me the heads up and then, um, got the confirmation yeah the day before we flew out and then um, yeah had a couple of conversations with Midge over the phone um, when I got down there had a really good sort of support group once we got down there and then I sort of realized um, okay yep like this is really happening I haven't really captained in a while since underage cricket um, I was a little bit confused because Rachel Haynes was in the team um, you know the Australian vice captain um, but saying that was probably the perfect opportunity to um have a turn at it pretty much I'm not not have a turn because not everyone gets turned at it but um yeah kind of have that opportunity to to lead and it was yeah a real honor considering it always been a dream to play for New South Wales and then to get that opportunity to captain a team um full of people that I'd sort of looked up to and and really respected as leaders as well was pretty special um probably created history in the wrong way in terms of having the first tie um in WNCL cricket and it was a bit of a an odd one coming off the field, a bit of a mixed feeling, um, especially being the one who bowled the last over. I think that was a bit tricky um, to sort of look back at, but I guess that's just the scenario I play with the ball anyway. Um, so yeah, kind of looking back, it was a bit of a, an odd one in terms of, I don't really know if I, um, I don't actually remember much of it because it was so just like in the moment and very like, well, what's going on? Um, I remember much more of the second game and it went a lot better. Um, so yeah, it was a really weird sort of week. Um, and it all went pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, it was just a scenario where I didn't really take much in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and in saying that you also were the captain of the Sydney Thunder team last year, taking the spot of Rachel Haynes, who was having a baby. So they were out of the, the WBBL. So you mentioned in the very first season, you ended up watching the first game. So, so from there to end up captaining a team, what was that whole experience like? And did that come sooner than you expected maybe? Yeah, I'd always sort of played a, a leadership role uh, within the Thunder and really enjoyed having that opportunity to kind of be seen as a leader um, from the beginning. And it was really awesome um, to kind of have that time within the group. I think you know, I'd been around the group for close to four years by that stage, um, played for two. So this one I was kind of expecting a little bit more um, if Rach was to be away. Um, but saying that we weren't expecting Rach to be away for the whole season. So that part sort of got thrown up a bit unexpected, unexpectedly. Um, yeah, she had to head back and then obviously um, couldn't get back in and due to a little bit of a niggle, um, ended up making the decision to miss the whole WBBL and that's when it sort of sunk in that um, this wasn't going to be a, a first um, a few games sort of situation this was going to be a whole season um, and that's when it sort of sort of kicked in and that realization of okay like I've really got to step up here for a whole season probably helped a little bit um, not feeling like I was stepping into someone's place I was you know taking hold for the season and could really set my mark in terms of what I wanted to do within the group. And um, yeah, I've always really enjoyed captaincy. I absolutely love um, the on-field aspect of the tactics. And I guess that's just how I go about my cricket. 
Um, but saying that the off-field stuff really took me by surprise and trying to manage a group um, that, you know, was away from home, um, you know, pretty much a COVID traveling bubble, um, a young group. Some people hadn't seen family in a long time, including myself. And um, yeah, that navigation came with a lot of learning. Um, but if someone was to tell me I was going to captain the Thunder at 19, when I was just really hoping for a debut, um, I would have told them they were joking. So completely grateful to have that sort of trust put in me. Yeah. And obviously you've, you've captained at a really young age. You see some captains now towards the end of their careers or, you know, maybe the prime of it. It's very rarely at, at 19 that you see someone captain aside. So what was that experience like at that age? I don't, I suppose you haven't known anything different. You've captained at a younger age, but you know, what, what's it like sort of did the group as a whole, the, the Thunder group, the New South Wales group, was it seen any differently that, you know, it was a 19 year old captain or was it just another one of those, you know, that age didn't matter and it was just you captaining aside like any other captain would? Yeah, I think it was actually really cool that part of our group I'd actually captained before in a lot of underage cricket. And I think that made it really easy to sort of transition into. And um, yeah, probably the only part that was a little bit um, different for the group probably would have been the fact that I'm a little bit different to Rach um, in terms of how we go about things. So just understanding that, transition and then pretty much yeah being able to go from there and earn that respect to the players um was really easy because they were really supportive and sort of understood I think it was nice they understood that it wasn't going to be an easy season um and it wasn't so yeah having that understanding from the group and um yeah I think obviously putting a, a bit of onus on the the senior players as well to take on a bit of extra responsibility that that they might um, might not have had in previous years, I think um, probably was a good development for everyone in the group and and for the future as well. So um, result result aside from the season, um, I think it probably turned into a learning opportunity for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we can move on now to sort of international experience and playing abroad. Um, in 2018, you featured in a 150th anniversary tour, which commemorated the first ever Indigenous cricket touring team. We've spoken a little bit about your, you know, Indigenous history and your, you know, your upbringing and, you know, regarding that, which has been brilliant. But what was it like to sort of, to go on that tour? Um, obviously there was a men's and women's team that, that went over, but how much pride did you take from that tour and, you know, being able to follow in the footsteps of, of the trailblazers that came before you? Yeah, I, I look back on that tour and I think it was probably one of the more special moments of my career and it probably will stay the same um, no matter some of the stuff I, I hopefully get to do. But looking back, I think the most important thing, it was so much more than cricket. Um, you know, we were lucky enough. I think we travelled all that way to play four games and a couple of us were like, um, you know, a 17 and a half hour flight for a couple of games. But then we quickly got reminded that they travelled, I think it was like 160 days on a boat um, it might've been 60 to get to England. Um, and they played every second day, most days, um, they played so much cricket, um, just cause they were lucky enough to have that opportunity and to look back and think of, um, you know, the, the stress and the, the things they had to get through to get onto that boat, um, to have that opportunity to play sport, um, was really dangerous. And yeah, I think to have that opportunity to then go across, learn about that um, and sort of commemorate the work they've done for Indigenous cricket and probably Indigenous sport um, more is was really cool. And to share that with the male team and then sort of share that experience with the Australian ODI team who was over at the, there at the same time. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll look back in some of the memories from that are, are pretty special. 
Yeah, you're spot on when it's when you say it's more than cricket because it, it certainly is. Like it's 150 years of history, and you know to be able to commemorate that must have been uh, absolutely brilliant. But what was the one main takeaway from that tour and that experience? Do you think that you know will hold you in good stead for the rest of your career? I think looking back um, and the moment we had in the change rooms where we had both the Indigenous teams and then the Australian um, ODI team, like. And Langer actually said, like, this is one of the only times you have three Australian teams um, in the same room. And that sort of stood out to me in terms of this Indigenous team is considered an Australian team because of the pride it takes in what we're doing. Um, And it's just happens to be in cricket. Um, So I think, yeah, looking at the way the impact and sort of the I go back to that education that we're able to sort of share and, and spread across cricket is pretty special. Um, and it, yeah, it, I constantly just remind myself that cricket's just a game that we're lucky enough to be playing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely wonderful. And it's great that you mentioned that, you know, it was an Australian team that you were a part of back then because it certainly was. And then if you fast forward another three years in 2021, you were part of another one uh, making, you know, your, your Australia debut, so to speak. Um, playing against India, a um, couple of T20s you played, and was a couple of ODIs thrown in there as well, wasn't there? A couple of two ODIs. Yeah, I played. Yeah, yeah, I played um, a couple of ODIs first, and then the the T20s a bit later, which was um, a bit of a shock. I was expecting to, um, yeah, be on the bench for a little bit there, but um, yeah, definitely a, a bit of a surprise. Yeah, and obviously you you, you played those four games as um, as you mentioned and. Obviously, you'd had the experience with the uh, with the Indigenous team, but how nice was it to be selected by Australia? And um, obviously, all your hard work was was then rewarded in in that sense. Uh, but how nice was it to to them, you know, play for Australia and wear the green and gold? Yeah, looking back on it, um, yeah, I haven't really sat back and reflected on it too often. Just um, yeah, it's something really special and. Uh, looking back and and kind of understanding the day it was, you know, a lot of kids grow up wanting to play for Australia and I I was really lucky to get that opportunity and um, absolutely love every minute of it. I think Um, I'm not often a player to get nervous and I'm really glad I I didn't get nervous because I would have been in a little bit of shock. But um, I think when you play such a simple role like I do, I I just really love going out there and being competitive and what's a better place to do it than um, out on the field for Australia and, um, yeah, to have my cap presented by Ash and um, sort of moments like that were really special. Mum and dad were on Zoom um, due to the, the border restrictions, so I couldn't get up there. But um, yeah, I think the moment that really stood out for me is um, how we were singing the national anthem and I sort of knew this is where I'd get a little bit emotional. I don't really get too emotional, but I had Stella Campbell, uh, my best mate, sort of standing beside me and I just yeah had a little tear roll down in terms of um, what was about to happen and I had some really good people around me um, while it was happening and yeah to kind of run out onto that field um, take the first wicket which was really um, relieving I think you you really dread not getting a, a wicket um, and yeah it's it's really cool to look back on it and sort of see um, what was able to happen. And it was obviously Great to see you then play for Australia and obviously take the first wicket, as you mentioned. So it was a wonderful start to your international career. Now, if we move on to um, to a little bit later on, um, you were selected in the ICC Women's World Cup squad for the Australia team as a travelling reserve, but you decided to uh, to withdraw. Was there any reason as to, to why that was? And, you know, if you look back on it now, you know, do you think you made the correct decision? 
Yeah, definitely the correct decision. I think one of the best decisions I've ever made um, in terms of me as a, a human. I think I sort of forgot there for a bit, there's Hannah the person and not just Hannah the cricketer. Um, and for me, sort of looking back at the year, um, we were sort of in that Ashes series before um, we were going to head away to New Zealand and another quarantine and those sort of things. And I sort of looked back and, um, yeah, spent a bit of time um, on the phone to family and um, some close friends just sort of voicing the concern of, I don't know if I'm ready to to be away from home for that long again. And um, was a bit confused why I think that was probably the the one thing worrying me is I didn't have a clear answer as to why I, I was so unsure of um, if cricket was the, the right thing at the time. I think that was probably the thing um, going through my head the most. And um, yeah, sort of put two and two together that um, I was completely empty um, in terms of what I had to give. And I think you can't give nothing to the Australian team because of how elite it is. And um, yeah, I just remember in a net session um, during the Ashes, oh, I remember it so clearly, like Alyssa Healy hit this ball back at me and I've just like stopped it with my hands. And it was like that moment I was like, I really do not want to be here. Like I am exhausted. Um, and yeah, sort of started having some conversations around um, what pulling out would look like. And um, yeah, it was a bit, it was, it was actually a really hard um, decision to make just because it seemed really stupid to turn down a, a World Cup and one we were going into as favourites and that experience of a World Cup I've never had. And um, there were so many things saying to go, but there was more things um, keeping me awake at night that was telling me not to go. And um, yeah, kind of having that opportunity to make that decision. And um, yeah, as soon as I got home, the relief of um, being able to switch off definitely was the the most exciting thing. And um, yeah, definitely the right decision to watch the World Cup from home. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it sounds like it was obviously the, the best choice for you. Um, but then obviously Australia did go on to, you know, like Commonwealth Games and that kind of thing afterwards, which uh, you didn't join back into the Australian squad. So is getting back in that Australian team something that's in your mind? Are you, or are you happy at the moment just kind of playing for New South Wales and playing for Sydney and, and kind of staying out? Or, or would you like to see yourself get back in that Australian squad at some point down the line? Yeah, I, I sort of got asked this question when I um, came back in pre-season and yeah, I, I really wanted to head across to the Com Games, but obviously with no cricket behind me, um, wouldn't be the best decision to to head across and take a spot of someone who was um, ready and, and that um, was the best decision at the time as well. So um, definitely have had interest in getting back into that squad and I think um, I've definitely got my eyes set on the T20 World Cup. So hoping, hoping to get back... Um, quick and make a good impression to hopefully um yeah get my chance at a world cup yeah no absolutely it'd be good to see you out there and obviously it was a like I said Australia are well the best women's team at the moment and that's been evident in the the cricket they've they've been winning so yeah it'd be really nice to see you out there hopefully with a, a gold medal around your neck um with the rest of the Australian girls thank you but moving on back to kind of New South Wales stuff. It looks like a very tight knit group. Like you mentioned, Stella Campbell is one of your best friends and um, probably along with the other girls that you hang out with outside of cricket. So if you kind of had to narrow it down, who would you say is one of your favorite teammates that you love taking the field with, but also love spending time outside of cricket with? I think I've got to say three considering um, I live with them. It's probably, um, yeah, it's probably a forced decision. Um, so across the hall, um, I have Emma Hughes and then 
little bit further down the hall, there's Annika Leroy. And then at the end of the hall, we have Lauren Cheadle. So uh, we're called the West Ride household. Um, we could be called the West Ride ward because we do have a couple of surgeries and injuries happening in this household. But um, yeah, I think I choose to live with them. I think that's the key thing to probably put in there. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love um, getting to experience this sort of athlete lifestyle um, with some pretty good people. I think they're probably some of the best running around. Um, and it is really awesome that I get to um, come home and sort of switch off from cricket and just see them as mates. But saying that cricket is pretty much always on the TV. Um, and yeah, we've all got different experiences and, and skill sets. So it's, yeah, it's actually really exciting when we get to head into training and um, compete against each other. I think um, pretty much starting today, we split into half and half for sixes and thunder. Um, and we haven't done that yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the um, hallway chat goes after the derby. Um, so yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. There might be a couple of um, slam doors or um, no conversations after walking up the stairs, but um, saying that we're all really good mates. So they're probably the top three. Well, that was actually one, um, an interesting one. I'd like to see what, what happens with that. I'm sure we'll see stuff on social media when it comes around, I hope, because I'd be interested to see what, what happens there and maybe with a win as well. Who knows? Yeah, I might fill the um the hallway with like green balloons or something before the game and see how that um, keeps everyone happy. Yeah, it's like you can do that thing where you like tinfoil everything in someone's room. I don't know whether you can get like merchandise or something like Thunder merchandise and you can just completely got some ideas here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bed sheets. Yeah. Banners. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. That's We're on something. Yeah. <laughs> um, going on to the kind of like easier questions, I guess. So, do you have a favorite cricket memory just from any format, any year? Um, yeah, probably the, the title, um, with the thunder probably stands out. I think, um, we said a couple of us really wanted to make it till sunrise. Um, and I just remember myself, um, Phoebe Litchfield, Lauren Smith, I'm pretty sure made it and Talia Wilson, um, sort of stood at the top of the balcony, um, with our medals around our neck, watching the sunset sunrise, sorry. Um, the next morning after winning a title and, um, yeah, it was pretty special to sort of, um, have that all sort of finish and head home like I said a little bit earlier which was was pretty special yeah no, that's great and now looking I guess into the close future what would you say are your goals in any time span really do you have anything that you kind of really got your mindset on at the moment yeah I think um, it has sort of shifted a bit with this um, little hiccup of an injury and and that um, new setup of sort of going back into to cricket and I think yeah I'm just really excited um to see the Thunder Girls go about their business this year and I think yeah we really want to make a, a finals campaign so hoping I can come back for those last few games um make an impact first of all and then hopefully help us towards um a semi-finals campaign and be available for that um but that big one is definitely that that T20 World Cup next year is um yeah definitely in my mind yeah absolutely so we've got a little bit of a would you rather this or that quick fire questions, whatever you want to call it, type section that we do with with all the guests. So if you're fine to uh, just get going, then uh, we'll uh, we'll go with that straight away. And first one, T20 or Test cricket? I I do love T20 cricket. I think yeah, I'm going to go T20. Yeah, I think I think we predicted that that was going to be the answer given how much <laughs> T20 cricket you've played. But um, yeah, it is a, it is a good format. I enjoy watching it. Um, but if you're stuck on a desert island, hypothetically, hopefully this doesn't come to fruition at any point. 
which person, maybe a teammate, maybe otherwise, are you taking? And what two things are you taking to sort of get you through it? I'm definitely taking Sammy Joe. That's like so easy. And I want her to bring her car because she has everything in her car um, that we would ever need, including probably fishing rods. And she probably has a boat hidden in there somewhere to <coughs> blow up or something. Um, and I would need, I need a book, but I'd finish it. So maybe like a crossword book. Cause I, I feel like you could go insane on an Island. Yeah, that's a good one. If, I feel like you've thought about this before because that Sammy Joe answer was extremely quick. <laughs> I hope yeah, it came to me straight away. I was like, definitely Sammy Joe. Yeah, no fair. But moving on now, right, final over of a game, you either need three sixes or a hat trick to win a game of cricket. Which would you prefer to, uh, to do to win a game? I've never taken a hat trick. So I, I mean, I've never hit three sixes in a row, but... Um, I definitely would go for the hat trick. Three Yorkers in a row, hopefully. Maybe okay, there's a lot you thought about, isn't it, with three Yorkers? <laughs> I might prepared. have to change it up though. They might be ready for it. So yeah, might have to go like slow war, keep them surprised. I don't know. I, I was gonna say we're giving we're giving opposition teams a lot to work with here. So we do apologize. <laughs> Favorite shapes flavor. Barbecue. I'm pretty basic, yeah. That's good. I really, I really dislike the cheese and bacon. I like, I can't stomach it at all. I think it's disgusting. Yeah, no. The pizza pizza ones and the barbecue ones are definitely the best. All the savory, savory kind of ones are getting the bin. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love the divide of shapes, flavors. It's unreal. Uh, Beach or backyard cricket? Backyard cricket. I'm not a fan of the beach. Grew up in Western Sydney, so didn't get out there too often. Fair enough. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Like go-to order, yes. Go-to? Fair yeah. enough. Lily's happy with that. You can just tell. Lily's a <laughs> yeah. pineapple extraordinaire. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, orange juice or apple juice? Uh, apple juice, but like the cloudy one? If that yeah, I can get behind that. Any sense? Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. Favourite cuisine? Uh, Japanese. Love like dumplings, sushi. Absolutely love it. Nice. Yeah, not one we've had yet. That's good. Check yeah. that one on the list. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to, if you're on a game show like I don't know, because we're both English, the first one we go to is who wants to be a millionaire, which isn't kind of a thing here. But if you were on phone, if you needed to phone a friend on a game show to get an answer for you, who would you pick and why? I'd probably go Annika Leroyd, my housemate, just due to the fact that she's always got random facts. So I think she'd be most likely to know a random fact. Yeah. Logical. Right, two more to go. Another penultimate one, WBBL or WNCL? I really want to win a WNCL title. I think New South Wales really deserves one. Um, yeah, I think it's um, it goes, there's a lot of hard work that goes into a WNCL title. Yeah, and given the fact that you've already won a WBBL title, perhaps that, you know, plays into the question. Even them yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that would be nice. Um, yeah. Final one, bit of a, a how's that legendary question, uh, a bit of a strange one to anyone else who doesn't listen to the podcast, perhaps. Is porridge a cereal, yes or no? Oh. Well, people say cereals are soup. So does that mean porridge is a cereal soup? Like it's, <laughs> it's a bit of luck. Well? 
It's a bit of a, a, a um, an interesting one. I mean, our very first interview was with Macy Gibson and she said she would classify porridge in the miscellaneous breakfast category. And I've kind of flown with that ever since because it's kind of like, it's nothing really. I don't think, I will what it like, Does it depend on how you eat your porridge? Because like some people have it like with heaps of milk. Whereas if I ever eat porridge, which is never, like it has to be thick. Yeah. So then I take it in miscellaneous. Yeah, I'd say it's miscellaneous. I mean, if you have more milk and then if you have it cold, I'd say that'd more be like a cereal, right? If it was like yeah. old milk. Those overnight oat trends, like that's yeah. probably more cereal. I'm going with that. Yeah. So so you're going with no? Or no. Yeah. yeah. No. Good. Okay, good choice. No. Because no one has porridge cold though. Who has porridge no, cold? But you never know. There might be someone weird out there who likes it different. I don't know. But I, ho- I hope if you have your porridge cold, you don't take any offense. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, the weird disclaimer you've got to put out on this podcast. But but that about wraps it up for all the questions, Hannah. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me, guys. Great questions. All the best with all your recovery. We'll be tuning in hopefully when you get back out there. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Love what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's a near hits. Leg stuff collected. Hannah Darlington. Welcome to One Day International Cricket. She's got two far. So that was the wonderful Hannah Darlington, obviously, of New South Wales, of Sydney Thunder and of Australia. Absolutely wonderful interview, Ian. A nice little milestone, as we mentioned, just to say that, you know, obviously someone's asked us to, to be on the podcast. And obviously, if you are a cricketer listening to this and you, you want to come on the podcast, you are obviously more than welcome. Where, um, you know, if you want to talk to us about cricket, you know, absolutely be our guest. You can, you know, you know, we're more than happy to have you. So uh, the opportunity is there. DMs are open. Uh, just, you know, DM the house that account and we're more than happy to have you on. So the, the offer is extended. The olive branch is out there. Uh, but in terms of Hannah Darlington, what an interview is you mentioned on the lead in. Yeah, yeah, no, she was wonderful um, and really enjoyed listening to her talk about her journey but hopefully she can get over kind of her injury and, and we can see her out as soon as possible. It's really disappointing that she won't be out there this season but yeah hopefully all their recovery goes well but like you said if anybody is interested in contacting us and you're a cricketer and you have a story to tell you can message us on instagram or twitter at how's that tcp or if you're just listening to the podcast and want to get in contact with us you can just message us there also or you can send us an email at how's that the cricket podcast at gmail.com but that is all from me this week likewise we'll be back soon with another guest very shortly should be a lot of fun how's that-